The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... An update on accessible electronic devices from the Federal Communications Commission. Welcome to ACB Reports for November 2019. Most people know that the Federal Communications Commission, FCC, oversees and regulates radio and television stations, as well as the cable television, landline, and cellular telephone industries. The agency also addresses some consumer accessibility issues within these industries. Will Shell is an attorney advisor in the Disability Rights Office, which is part of the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau at the FCC. He delivered this update from the FCC during this year's conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind. I'm really happy to be here. I've spoken a couple of times to ACB uh, a couple years ago at, at this uh, same convention and then at the leadership conference, and it's always a pleasure to speak to everybody. There's a lot of rules that the FCC has, and I'm going to cover them very lightly, and what I want to emphasize the most, if I can give anything to the audience and anyone listening, is that you have to let people know that these things exist. I think the biggest barrier to gaining accessible telephones and TVs is knowing that they exist. So let me just run through some of the highlights. Um, for some people who may not know, the Federal Communications Commission regulates televisions and telephones, those arenas. Uh, the Disability Rights Office of the FCC focuses on making sure that people with disabilities have access to the television and the telephone networks. The two things are constantly evolving, and we need constant interaction from the disability community for us to stay up to date. Federal agencies like the FCC do not make the rules on their own. They make rules with comment from the public and from industry and from interested parties. The national leaders at ACB have been a consistent voice at the FCC. Uh, they inform us about the needs of the blind and visually impaired community. People like Kim and Clark and Eric and Tony and Claire and, of course, uh, Joel Snyder and Carl Richardson are consistently in uh, the FCC's ear telling us what we should be doing. And we appreciate it. We actually can't thank them enough. Um, and also many other people in this room or who may be listening. Um, have filed comments in our open proceedings. Filing comments with us on open proceedings is one way of keeping the FCC's attention on the blind and visually impaired community. The other is by filing complaints. You can file complaints with the FCC on any of these rules that I'm going to uh, cover. And I'm calling on all of you today to file complaints if you cannot find the answers that you need or if you cannot find the solutions that you believe should exist. 
you can also contact our office and we will talk through what the rules are and whether or not they may apply. So we have various rules <laughs> regarding accessibility of TVs, telephones, and other devices that use advanced communication services or play video programming. For example, telecommunications devices have to be accessible. They have to be compatible with accessibility devices like braille displays, and they have to be usable in that you can read the instruction manual in an accessible format. We have rules that require captioning on TV, of course, and on the internet. We have rules that require text messaging and email and instant messaging be accessible. We have rules that require internet browsers on mobile phones be accessible. We have rules that require emergency information be accessible on TV and on mobile phones. And that's just a few of the rules that we work on. So let's talk a little bit in more detail about some of our rules. I always like to talk about emergency information. If you are blind and watching television and you hear that emergency information noise, oftentimes it's three beeps, you may want to turn to the secondary audio stream. The secondary audio stream plays audio description and it also plays foreign language audio tracks. That secondary audio stream also reads out loud the emergency information which is scrolling along the bottom of the screen. And I don't have to tell you that sometimes this information is important. We all need to know when there's an emergency and if we should take action. Now the traditional TV is evolving. <laughs> People are watching video programming in all sorts of different ways now. And we want to make sure that the emergency information is able to follow along however we're watching TV. Uh, one example is that cable, satellite, and fiber TV services are required to pass through a secondary audio stream containing audible emergency information when they allow their customers to access regular television programming on a second screen device. This is a slightly legal way of saying if you're watching TV on your tablet, if you're watching a cable on a tablet, the, the cable company has to send the emergency information through your tablet as well if there's an emergency alert. So second screen devices are like a tablet. Blind and visually impaired customers should have access to the same emergency information that is presented visually. And many people are watching uh, TV on the smartphones and tablets and all sorts of other ways. And the rule that we have specifically requires that the cable and satellite companies send that information through to the uh, tablet and smartphone. And it's important to note that our rules have limitations. And this is why I, I want to, this is an example of why I want you to reach out and contact the FCC if you have questions about particular things. So for example, this rule is only applicable to cable or satellite companies' own network. Like if you are watching a TV show in your own home on the broadband connection provided by that same cable company, it does not apply to you watching TV programming in a Starbucks on the Starbucks network. 
So there's some particular requirements of our rules. But if you're watching your cable company service in your home on the cable company's broadband connection, then they have to provide the emergency information through the secondary audio stream in an accessible manner. Now, I want to remind everyone about the FCC's rules that require set-top boxes to be accessible and also the rules that require other devices that play video programming to be accessible. I'm going to talk about them in two separate contexts. In this context, we're talking about accessible user interfaces for people who are blind or visually impaired and being able to operate all or nearly all of the functions of that device. That includes the settings and the menus and the channel selection and so on. So most of this is accomplished through a speech synthesizer on the device. But um, it can be done in other ways. I haven't, I haven't seen it in other ways. So let's start off with the rules regarding accessible set-top boxes for cable, satellite, and fiber TV services. If you subscribe to a cable or satellite or fiber TV service, they must provide an accessible set-top box experience to people who are blind or visually impaired right now. That is all of them, all cable, satellite, and fiber TV services, except for a very few extremely small analog-only rural cable companies. In general, all cable companies have to have an accessible set-top box and if a blind or visually impaired customer requests an accessible set-top box, the cable company has to provide it at no additional charge. So if you are paying $50 a month for your uh, cable service and you request an accessible set-top box, you should continue to pay $50 a month even if the box that they have to provide you is a very fancy, very expensive box. And from some of the complaints that I've uh, received, this can actually be difficult for the cable companies to do. So if you are getting extra charges and you believe that you shouldn't be getting those, then you can feel free to reach out to me. Uh, and I'll give you my contact information. We can try to work through whether or not it's covered under our rules. The cable companies uh, and satellite and fiber TV companies, they also have to make getting this accessible box generally easy to get. They have to have an accessible website that lists who you can speak to to find out more information. That person has to be able to explain how to get one of these devices and also how to use the accessible functions on the device. The rules sound great. It's a harder to do in practice, but um, if you're running into trouble, again, you should reach out to the cable, satellite, and fiber company push them, ask them. A lot of them have accessible numbers that will definitely explain how to use this stuff. Some of them don't have as easy of a person to contact, um, but you should reach out to them, ask them the questions. If they can't answer the questions, you should feel free to reach out to me and we can keep searching. Over the last year or so, I've received complaints about accessible set-top boxes and uh, just uh, what was just said was uh, things are getting better. They are available. The biggest question is, do people know that they're available? People in this room are informed, but there are many, many more people who don't know that they could have an accessible set-top box. So inform your neighbors and friends. Let them know that these things exist. 
Now, the cable companies have some flexibility on how they can achieve the accessible user interfaces. Some companies have a set-top box. Others use an accessible tablet app that controls the set-top box. Others have different add-ons. And the cable companies are allowed to do this. At the end of the day, though, these have to be usable. So if you're unsure if uh, your cable or satellite company's accessible solution meets our rules, feel free to call me or file a complaint, and we will work out to figure out whether or not it complies. The other set of accessible user interface rules covers other devices that play video programming, right? So we're going to set the cable company and satellite and fiber companies aside now, and we're going to talk about other video programming devices. These are things like TVs or smart TVs or tablets or smartphones or removable media players like Apple TV and Roku and Amazon Fire Sticks. This includes computers, right? Computers can play video programming. Anything that plays video programming. My favorite is the smart refrigerator. If your smart refrigerator can play video programming, then it's covered under our rules. If your smart refrigerator can play video programming, then it has to have accessible controls for you to manipulate the playback of video programming on it. And, uh, oh, another favorite is rear entertainment systems and the headrests of cars. Those play video programming. They have to have accessible user interfaces for people who are blind or visually impaired. I'm sure that within the next year, they will be putting video programming devices inside of other devices, and it will, it will just continue to be a stranger and stranger world, and we have to stay on those companies to make sure that they're making those accessible. So the accessibility rules apply to these devices and to any of the pre-installed apps on the video players that come with the device. It also applies to any apps or players that the manufacturer directs the user to go and download. The accessibility rules do not apply just to any app that you can get on there. It's only the ones that are pre-installed or that you're told to go and download. But many of these devices come with hundreds of pre-installed apps. These devices must be accessible if they were manufactured on or after December 20th, 2016. So the new devices, the accessible devices, they're here, and you can find them all over the place. You can find accessible televisions from multiple manufacturers right in the store. You can find accessible DVD players and VHS players. If you're into VHS, you can get an accessible VHS player. It plays video programming, has to have accessible features. Most of these are not special disability devices. They're the same devices that you buy in the store, but you should check with the manufacturer to make sure that you're buying an accessible device. The manufacturers are not required to make every device accessible. So check before you buy, check with your friends, read the reviews, go to the store and use the remote, do that sort of thing. But I always like to emphasize that this is not a small thing. People who are blind and visually impaired watch just as much video programming as sighted people do, and we pay significant amounts of money for these devices and for the subscription services. And TV and video programming is 
completely intertwined with our society and culture. So all of these devices must have also a simple and easy to use mechanism in order to turn on and off the secondary audio stream. And this is something like a button key or icon. If you cannot turn on the secondary audio stream quickly, you will not be able to listen to the emergency information announcement. Uh, and if you can't turn it on and off, you also won't be able to hear audio description. Now, speaking of audio description, uh, right now the FCC has rules which require the most popular channels to have described video on the secondary audio stream. You all are an audience that is probably familiar with described video. However, if you're not, very quickly, described video is audio narrated descriptions of a television program's key visual elements. These short verbal descriptions of action or key visual scenes in a program, such as the setting or costumes, facial expressions, they're provided to add context. These descriptions are inserted into the pauses within a program's dialogue. And normally, you listen to the description by turning on the secondary audio stream. I always like to explain what audio description is because you may be surprised at how many people who are blind or visually impaired have never used it and don't know how to find it. Our rules right now require that the local TV station affiliates of ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC, which are located in the top 60 television markets, that they have to provide 50 hours per calendar quarter of video described prime time and or children's programming. Also, the top five non-broadcast networks, which are Discovery, History Channel, TBS, HGTV and USA, they also must provide 50 hours per quarter of video described primetime and or children's programming. All of those networks also have to provide 37 and a half hours per quarter of audio description between the hours of 6 a.m. and midnight in addition to the 50 hours of prime time and children's. So that's about a total of seven hours per week. So it's a complicated uh, math way of saying about seven hours per week of audio description for all of those channels. And there's a number of channels and networks that provide audio description without our rules. So our office also administers one of our favorite programs, the National Deafblind Equipment Distribution Program, also known as I Can Connect. And uh, we always like to mention it. It is one of the best programs, um, and we're very proud. It's a $10 million a year program that distributes telecommunications equipment to people who are low income and who are deafblind. Uh, many of the people in this room work on the NDBEDP program. And um, I just want to reiterate that uh, it is now a permanent program. For quite a long time, it was a pilot program, and it's totally permanent now. So with that... If you want to email me with questions about the disability rights rules, you can email me at will.shell at FCC.gov. That's W-I-L-L dot S-C-H-E-L-L at FCC.gov. You can also send questions to D-R-O at FCC.gov. That's the disability rights office email. Uh, we can help you file a complaint. We can answer your questions. 
or you can go to our website, which has tons of information about these rules, uh, fcc.gov disability. Finally, I want to invite you to monitor our disability rights activities. Uh, you can see what the Disability Rights Office is doing and be informed about open proceedings that you can file comments on. We don't send out too many emails, but we have a listserv. You won't be bombarded with emails. You can send the word subscribe to accessinfo at fcc.gov. So thanks very much. That was Will Shell, an attorney advisor in the Disability Rights Office at the Federal Communications Commission. You're listening to ACB Reports. Former staff member Tony Stevens continues to serve the American Council of the Blind as ACB's representative to the FCC's Disability Advisory Committee. During the same conference session, he discussed the work of this committee. Hi, everyone. My name is Tony Stevens. I'm no longer with ACB, formally in a sense, as far as working, but Eric was in no way going to let me run away. So it's been a privilege over the past year uh, since I left about eight months ago to still be involved in a lot of the electronic communications, sort of the area that I nerd out on. Folks might not know, uh, you know, my background was in media and journalism back in the 90s. I ran a radio station and have always had a love for all things electronic since I was a kid and would take apart my dad's computers. What I want to be able to do here is, because you might hear some of this stuff going on and chatter in other places, is share a little bit about very briefly in a sense of what's going on in the electronic communications front, particularly around audio description with some of the emerging technology and some of the challenges and, and some of the partnerships that have really grown out of the relationships that I've, I've been fortunate to still sort of work under as being your representative for the Disability Advisory Committee for the Federal Communications Commission. You heard Will speak earlier today. And he is a strong force within the Federal Communications Commission, representing the concerns and interests and, and making sure that the CVAA, the Communications Video Accessibility Act of 2010, which is going to be 10 years old next year. ADP is 10 years old, but CVAA will be 10 years old next year. There have been talk about maybe some sort of, you know, those of us around Capitol Hill that like to push for things that you know, now is the time maybe to start thinking about what the future is. That really dives into where we're working at a lot with the FCC and, and other folks like our partners will be here later today with National Association of Broadcasters. If he's not here now, Larry Walk with NAB um, is here as well. Uh, and we're just so fortunate to have strong relationships between the commission and the broadcast industry. Folks know Tom with Comcast and the other cable companies, Verizon and others that we've had big relationships with over the years in really trying to make it more accessible what is essentially the hallmark of American life, that Monday morning water cooler after a Sunday game on television, um, you know, the, the work that the Olympics were doing to being described. Did we know if the, the soccer game was described the other day? I didn't get to catch it, but, you know, probably not, but there's still a lot of areas for growth. Even with the FCC rules in place that went into effect last this past year for 87.5 hours, that is still a fraction when you compare it side by side to what the deaf and hard of hearing community have for equal access. So we are continuing to fight for pushing that from a 3% to a 30% to a 90%. What can we do to try to get greater access? One of those areas that's been a technical challenge that we've been working with NAB on is around emergency accesses. Because it's one thing to laugh at a comedy, it's another thing to fear for your life if there's a tornado ripping through your community. And there are some technologies that are great and innovative in practicing what they say where a picture tells a thousand words. 
And how do we exactly get to that point of, of how do you make using existing technology like Facebook uses for photo recognition and some of the technologies that we're working behind the scenes to try to create for real-time description using automated systems and artificial intelligence and things like that? How can we find areas where that could be fruitful and beneficial in trying to do the most fundamental things that as a public, in a sense, bandwidth as the communications has always been seen since the Communications Act of 1934, we have seen this idea that these are our airwaves, right? It's the right-of-ways for cables under the ground that ties into, like, the telecommunications set up with telegraphs and things over the history. So we've always seen this as our communication grid in this country. We're excited to have the partners we're working with and trying to make that a more accessible grid. You'll be hearing more about that uh, in the coming year as a report is due to the Federal Communications Committee on a current waiver uh, as we try to find technical solutions uh, to really remedy this particular issue, I said, with emergency crawls and things like that, that where they're putting graphical images in the bottom of the screen, and how can we find ways to make those images accessible? We, as ACB's history has always been solid with, is we'll work with anybody that comes to the table. You know, if someone's willing to listen, we're willing to talk and share and find compromises. And once we found success in getting lawyers out of the rooms and we get the nerds in the room, we have always been impressed with how much gain is made between organizations coming together who sometimes might not always be seen as, you know, consumer and industry. Consumer advocates and industry don't always come on an eye in, in sense. This time we do. Keep listening to let us know. Email advocacy at acb.org with any of your issues dealing with cable or other accessibility issues in the telecom and electronic communications world. And we are proud to be your representatives, not just myself, but Claire Stanley is our alternate. Uh, Carl Richards, is, is he here somewhere, Carl? Yeah, Carl's here. Um, and, you know, the ADP subcommittee, Dan Spoon, is tied in. Joel is, is on the DAC. So you have a lot of advocates working to make the electronic communication space more accessible for you, the end user. So thanks, everybody. I look forward to connecting while I'm here today. And have a wonderful convention. Take care. That was Tony Stevens, the ACB representative to the Disability Advisory Committee of the Federal Communications Commission. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. ACB Reports.